Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? This is really funny because I think I only realised in later life that I never had anything. I never, like, and I think to this day I still don't live too particularly in the future. Like, um, an actual, like, job that I want to be or, like, you know, a vocational career. I never had that in mind. And it kind of, like, rolls into what I do now. Like, I kind of, like, fell into that for that reason. But, yeah, I um, listened to this, actually, is what made me first realise. I was like, I've never actually asked myself this question, like, as an adult. But I've now started asking other people like <laughs> like what what they wanted to be. So I'm like, did you have things you wanted to be when you were older? And I never personally had it. I was interested in things, but like I never saw myself in the future as a, a particular role or job. I mean, to to kind of not prove to you that this is true, but like to give an example of why this is so foreign to me now that I'm, I'm experiencing it as later. <laughs> Talking to people about this, I realised that at, at uni. Um, in one of like the more like um, how you get into a how you get a job uh, classes that we had, you, we had to fill in like a little bit of a questionnaire. And one of the things, one of the questions was genuinely, what do you like? What do you want to be when you? What do, what would your ideal role be? Or what do you want to be when you get older? Is essentially what this question is. And I genuinely wrote cog in the system, and <laughs> like maybe it speaks a little bit to like engineering <laughs> background, but like I was like, no, I really want to like help that whatever that is like i don't want to be like the decision maker of it i guess but but there was no like concrete thing that i came up with it was more the um in the abstract i guess yeah 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 i i i I mean it started on the first one as kind of a just all right well where do we start this well let's start at the beginning like what did you want to be and and it just seems to have kind of it's a question that actually works really well and i think it sets things up nicely for the show because it's kind of like what do you what did you want to do if you did want to do anything and then what are you doing and like they don't match up very often if even if people do know what they want to do no nope, there's totally. sometimes there'll be a, a slight link but yeah i think it's really interesting and like you, you say you know there's a lot of people who just have no idea but i think if you if you went back like I bet my dad's generation, it would have been, you know, what does my dad do? I want to do that, that kind of thing. But where it's funny you should say that mine and through a little bit of therapy that I've I've done in the last year, 
I actually specifically don't didn't want to do what my dad did mm. and not his actual trade, but like the form in which he does it. So to be self-employed. Mm-hmm. So I saw my dad and my mum struggle when I was younger, like mm. running their own business, but being the being the production as well as like the actual like sales of it. So my dad was a plumber and then he went into building houses mm. and my mum and my auntie and the rest of the family did like the accounts for it and things like that. And I saw that that wasn't constant work and mm-hmm. it never brought, I think my dad wouldn't have regretted what he did, but like it didn't bring stability, which was something that I've in later life craved. Yeah. Which is funny considering what I do now. You're listening to series four, episode 19 and to my guest, Thomas Nadin. This is another zoom interview recorded on the 7th of June. 2023. Thomas Nadin is co-founder of Few and Far, a creative studio that helps charities make our world a better place. Having struggled with their own mental health in the past, the co-founders now work exclusively with charities to create brands, websites and interactive fundraising campaigns to increase their impact, tell their inspiring stories and give back digital expertise to the sector that needs it most. Thomas's background is in software engineering, and in a past life, he made train station software. Some is even still in Leeds City Station, and the prototype for one of best inventions of 2015, as voted for by Times Magazine. Thomas is from Ponty, or Pontefract, but has lived in Leeds for almost 10 years. He is a recent father of a daughter and a longtime fur father of a seven-year-old cockapoo. He's a craft beer fan who has made the Rainville Superstore website for all lovers of beer in Leeds, and whose stag do was all six sessions of the Leeds International Beer Festival in 2018. Now, as a recent father, beer's taking a back seat, and more exercise has been added into his routine, specifically taking up bouldering when he's not breaking his ribs. Right, let's do this. Episode 99 of Working Hours with Thomas Nadin. So what is it that you do do now? So now I, by trade, uh, by profession, I suppose, I'm a software engineer. Mm-hmm. So I went to university f- for software engineering and started working in marketing uh, marketing websites. But actually right now I, I run a business called Fume Far, which is a digital agency that uh, at least for the last few years exclusively works with charities. So mm-hmm. we do branding, websites, creative storytelling pieces like uh, fund fundraising experiences uh, online as well as like strategy helping give back digital expertise to the sector that really doesn't have it but like mm. goddamn needs it mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot yeah um yeah so we started five years ago almost six years ago just working with anyone and everyone to demonstrate that we could run a project because we've both worked at like massive marketing agencies but now we we run a are all a smaller team and have uh, no sales people in that room, which is quite nice. Well, actually, we're the sales people. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like, I, I mean, did you just have a really good client list to begin with, and then that's just kept steady work? Or no, it was all word of mouth. Yeah, um, and um, just like our reputations got us work working with others, and then the work that we did got us more. Um, and then after we got through the pandemic and then we were making like photographers websites, uh, 
websites for like just big businesses that were like brochure sites for them. And then we kind of like, we did make it through the pandemic and was like, why, why are we doing this? Like mm. Cole for the longest time had worked for our agencies that worked for charities and he found that work really rewarding. So we went on a little business coaching exercise ourselves and like look back at the work we did and yeah, realized that, well, <laughs> under, under the, under the, um, under the radar, like we'd made St. George's Crypt website in the, uh, in Leeds and we did that pro bono, um, while we were just doing commercial work mm -hmm. and, um, then later on found out that like it pretty much overnight doubled their online donations. I think I actually did more than that, but it's conservative to say doubled it, but, yeah. uh, gave them a lot more confidence online and we've worked with them ever since and we're like, that was a great project. We loved what we did. We helped these people. Mm -hmm. They weren't assholes. Why are we, why are we making websites for people that don't, don't want to work with us almost? So. Yeah. 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 And I, I suppose, like you say, it's a, it, it's a kind of skill that the sector desperately needs. And so I would expect a lot of kind of like, oh, everything you're doing is great. Like we couldn't do this and now we can. And this is amazing. Is that the kind of reaction? Yeah, yeah. The um, a lot of it is like one of the things that we do is um, it's called we've got this free service called the Impact Optimizer where we we do closing the name. We don't work with many people, but the business has been called few and far. <laughs> but we know there's this like massive lack of expertise. So one once a week we do a free review for any and all charity that can sign on our website and just get it um, and we do a bespoke review of their website and give them some digital strategy for how they can improve the website they already have like mm -hmm. do more with less or do more with what they already have and it's not rocket science but like the people that are in these teams like marketing teams are normally like 0.5 of a person mm -hmm. <laughs> like because they're also doing other jobs yeah and they yeah don't have capacity to do this but their, their websites are almost always a Wikipedia of everything they do, yeah. which that isn't necessarily what people need to see when they come to your website. Yeah. So we help them just understand what uh, a big, a big one is they think they need to capture people's attention while they're on their website, but it's like, you need to do that in the real world. But like, if they've come to your website, I think you've got their attention. Now you need to like help them understand what you do. Like, yeah. You don't need any of the taglines. The taglines are to attract eyes in the real world or like in a mixed, yeah. um, when you're competing with other organizations for attention, if they're on your site, like tell them what you do and how you do it. Like, yeah. and it's surprising how a lot of the, uh, we do, we normally give like five tips for it at least. And one of them is always put the really good stuff that's hidden in your about page on your homepage. Mm. And they're like going, oh yeah, that's that's a great idea. Like I'm not trying to like belittle them when I say that, but like it's just those these thoughts just haven't got to that sector yet. So. But that's what you read as well, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, uh, when you're doing something like that, the first thing when you're reading like marketing materials and advice and stuff, it's always because it's commercially minded generally, and it's yeah. always like do this, have this, keep this attention. It's all about time on the site and stuff. But like you say, if they're coming to to find a particular place they want the information you know they don't want loads of pretty pictures necessarily and lots of things to click in animations they just want to find out what you do and yeah. maybe how to help or how to donate or 
you know, uh, how to, I don't know, get a media interview, anything like that. So those are the things I guess that you kind of focusing on and bringing to the front. Yeah. And all the contents on their website, like that's exactly right. Everything you said there is what you need to do and it is all there. But what we typically see is everybody, certainly the ones in Leeds we work with, but this is UK as well. Like they'll force the reader to find that information mm. and everybody's like, we do a lot of work about accessibility and like, supporting people with disabilities, but also like we talk about something called like situational limitations. Like we're all disabled to a certain degree, uh, not disabled, sorry, um, our abilities are limited at certain times, uh, regardless of disabilities. So like if you've got a kid with you, but you need to look on a website, your attention span is a bit, you're a bit attention span poor. Mm -hmm. So why make anything harder? So the thing we normally do is like, you've got like 50 links in your your header, maybe just start with the links of who the people are that you need the website to support. So Crypt is a good example for us. There's only two main links in the header. One is how we help. And the second one is how you can help. And then we, we siphon people off based on what they're coming to the website for, like what their goal is. Mm -hmm. Is it to learn more, do due diligence? Are they a business in Leeds that wants to support the crypt? Well, they can go to that section and see all that information. We signpost them off or are they wanting to get involved? Yeah. And then we we have like curated journeys that we take people through because of it. And yeah, like I think you said it earlier, but pretty much everyone we've done the impact optimizer for has gone, oh yeah, yeah, that'd be, be great. So <laughs> it's like a sort of statement of the obvious kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, but it's not obvious when you don't know. It's kind of, if you thought about it, you would go, yeah, that makes lots of sense. But because you've been reading all this stuff about how to make a website and what websites are supposed to do. You, you're not thinking that way. Or often they've had a website commissioned and they've trusted in other people to do it. And we see it a lot where charities' websites are just, it's just a theme where what the charity does has been put into, well, these are the pages that you get. Yep. And it isn't the website that you need. Uh, this is going to start sound sales in now, so sorry. I'm not trying sorry. to sell your website. But it isn't the website you need. It is the partner that can help you in the digital space. Like the website is the vehicle for it, definitely. But like without the strategy and like understanding what's going to work and then checking analytics to see if that's effective, like it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> like you can have, like I think you even mentioned like having all the animations and stuff. All of our sites do that, but they do that as an extra. They're not like the core bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you you kind of told us a little bit about how you got started. So we've, we've kind of partially answered this, but the next question is how you got into it. But maybe it's maybe sort of tell us a little bit as well about kind of starting up. I did you? I, I assume like how quickly you incorporated, like how quickly the idea came together. Uh, I mean, you said, obviously, you weren't kind of planning to be self-employed. Yeah. But yeah, how do you, well, how did it come about? And how do you think, like, why did that, was that something in terms of being self-employed? Was that something that you were a little bit reticent about? Or was that something that you didn't think about at that point? You were just like, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. Like, yeah, go through that journey a little bit for us. Well, to to kind of bridge the gap between I want to be a cog in the, mach in the machine to be where I am now, I can start with how I got into programming, mm -hmm. um, which is 
when I was 13, I think. Me and a friend, uh, Daniel Johnson, drew comics for our school. Like, as in, not for the school, but for, like, ourselves about yeah. the school. And we did them in, like, a, a very legal version of Adobe Photoshop and that everybody had on the disc. And needed a place to, like, share them with the school, I guess. Yeah. And or with our mates at school and we were on a, a forum back then and we were chatting with like just people around the world me and danny and um there was this guy in america who had a host a web host mm-hmm. and he was like oh I, I can give you a little bit of the folder structure and you can host your website on there and i was like i don't have a website i've got comics <laughs> so then by necessity i had to learn how to do html to put my comics on a small website he was gracious enough to then give me a database so then i actually made my own website to like post the the things to rather than code in the the the, uh the pages for every page Mm -hmm. rather than like week one.html week two.html and yeah that's how that began and then in college i got more and more into the actual like act of programming i guess like I really love it. I do it outside of my job development. I like making software. Um, I really enjoy when my software is used and it doesn't become obsolete. Mm-hmm. So like my first, it was, I think it was um, a lot of the stuff I do now within like five years, it can be replaced. So that is an existential thing I have to deal with. But some of the stuff that lasts is really satisfying. So in my gap year or placement year, I should say, at university, I worked at a company called Amy, public service provider, like massive company, but they made train station software. So like mm. uh, I've worked on the the next train to depart is in lead station. So like I've been sat in a room and have to debug why the lady doesn't say like from instead of tour. Yeah. And it's because there's a massive diagram of where it's going to go depending on the context. So it's very satisfying when I hear all that and like the the pop-up signs that appear in Weatherspoons near stations as well. I did those, so, or some of those, I should say. So all of that still exists and that's very satisfying. But working in software houses is really boring. Mm. Like it's not very sociable. Um, the people who are my age were very fun. Is it like headphones on, head down, everyone working alone and you only speak to someone when you need to know something kind of thing? Yeah, and everyone wore suits. Yeah. So after uni, I had no desire to do that again. And instead just went and worked um, at a digital marketing agency Mm -hmm. and made really fun websites, like uh, advertising uh, websites, like for crappy brands, like short-term loan companies, like to like, make their websites rank better on Google so they'd pay the SEO agency loads of money and then we'd make an interactive experience that people would like tweet about or whatever it was. Did loads of that, but ended up this marketing team was just like selling lies pretty much, like saying we could deliver things and that me and Cole, which is where I met my business partner, Cole, were like, we can't deliver that, but you kind of have to go through with it. Yeah. So ended up leaving there and working at a smaller agency in Leeds um, where I could have more, well, I felt I could have more agency within that, like more control over it. And I think if the next thing hadn't have happened, I'd still be there because it was a great, great company to work for, uh, Engage Interactive in Leeds. But Cole just one day came to me. He'd gone freelance after we worked at the the first place. But he, he was like, have you, do you want to go for a pint at Northern Monk? 
I was like, yeah, sure. And then he pulls his laptop out and he's made a 170 slide deck about why I should quit my job and start a business with him. <laughs> you haven't got a comeback for that, have you really? Because it's just like, no, oh, you've already answered any objection I'm going to have. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, the only thing I can say is I'll have a pint of faith then, please. <laughs> Good choice. But yeah, so we he, he spoke about what he wanted to do, like he wanted something bigger than just himself who's doing freelance. We've since looked back at that deck and one of the things in there was like we he wanted to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that like now to say that we've got rid of all of our commercial clients except for Rainville in Leeds, we yeah, like it, it's really nice to see that that was always there, but we just went away and did something else in the in the first instance. Mm-hmm. So in terms of incorporating the business, I was really keen not to leave engage in the lurch where I worked before. Yeah. So I gave a double notice, which was hard, I think, because I'm wanting to start this other business, but yeah, equally wanted to help my team and like help them, give them enough time to find someone and then enough time for that person to be skilled, skilled up and ready to start because yeah, they're, they're the really, really good. Yeah. But equally, it gave me more months of buffer for starting the business. So that, that was like financially advantageous for me. But then, it meant that for that for those evenings while I was working, I cold designed and then I made our website in the evenings. Mm. So I was already working from November 2018, I think is when we incorporated it. And then February 2019, I think, is when we started. Mm. I think it's around then. Yeah. We had a, a full strategy day about what we should call ourselves and like the brand should be and all those sort of things it was weird doing it for ourselves yeah it's still just you two at this point yeah 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 and it, it has been just us two for the for the longest time we started hiring around just after covid but then unfortunately through covid that didn't we had to let our staff member go but this year we've started again so we've just taken an intern on two months ago to hopefully start this process again of like grow the team because for the longest time it was just us and we don't get bored of each other's company, but need to, yeah, we can do more if there's more of us. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you need to, as well as uh, I guess, and this is from speaking with other startups as well, it's that you start initially, it's like you say, the sales, getting the customers in, getting the work and so on. But as that work kind of starts to keep itself rolling to a degree, you need to start going back to doing more like strategy planning, more of the oversight kind of stuff. So, yeah, I expect that, you know, and like you say, when you bring someone on, you you can expand, you can do more work, you can get more done. So, yeah, I guess that's an inevitability for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really hard to hire at the moment for us, especially because like, developers for example you can go to like sky in leeds any of the big like tech places and get paid a a lot of money like Mm. for i know people who do work there and they i'm not saying they don't do much work they're they're older than me that have kids they don't want to do much more work but they get paid a lot to do very little Uh, so it's hard for a smaller business to be like come here and get less money or work at a massive place get a ton of benefits get paid loads and don't have much responsibility Mm. so i guess we have why we do what we do as our cell and 
it certainly worked for our first. They, they wanted that. Um, I mean, they get the freedom as well, I guess, because yeah, you, true. you know you're a smaller company, you're a little bit more flexible, a bit more agile, and you know, like you say, if everyone in that first job they're all wearing suits, it might be nice for someone not to have to wear the formal attire and not be quite as as corporate. Yep. Um, yeah. All right, I'll move into questions. Uh, we'll start off with COVID because we we kind of touched on it a couple of times. Obviously, that's. I mean, it sounds like that's something that was big in the history of the company for you. I mean, it was a massive long time. So take us through sort of going into lockdown, like what was happening when you locked down, whether you kind of went in early or went in a bit later, whether it was like just kind of ringing all your clients up to either reassure them or to say everything's on hold. Like how did that bit go? And then sort of coming out the other side what do you think if anything covid has changed for the way that you work and like are there lasting changes for you now do you think going into it we were on our christmas do because we we deferred it to like yeah. march so there's me my wife Cole, and his wife and we um we're in porto which i don't know if you remember in march was like the epicenter of it <laughs> of uh, March 2020 so we were like I remember being on the plane going why is everybody wearing masks this is weird isn't it so I like really like it's funny now looking back at it I was like, like pulling my shirt up over my mouth going is this is this enough is this like and then at the time as well even though we all knew that COVID was a thing but it just seemed so distant from us even though we were physically experiencing it in the airport um, I was bedridden for like four days after I got back. Now, I don't know if that was COVID and I didn't ever even consider that could have been COVID for like maybe a year afterwards because yeah. you sometimes get ill. And there like, were no tests. There were no tests around. So it's not like you could do a test. But I, even at the, at the time, I didn't even go, oh, I've got COVID. I was just like, oh, I've got a flu, haven't I? Because it felt like a flu and I've had it once before the flu. And I was like, all right, I know you can get it again. And I normally get like a bit sick when I go abroad anyway, like on the airports and in, in airports and things. But yeah, because like we've looked back at it, me and Sarah, my wife, she said, you couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that was COVID. So initially, yeah, potentially I was affected by that immediately. As for work, we we shared an office and the uh with two other designers and they were infrequently in the office anyway so uh people would work from home i uh cole lives in bradford so he uh, worked from home as well and then i occasionally went into the office because i was the only one mm -hmm. but for the longest time like during the main part of the first lockdown we just worked from home exclusively anyway mm -hmm. um however before that we we actually did part like hybrid working uh, before mm -hmm. the pandemic we you know, one of the things for having the business was having a bit more flexibility in work-life balance. So we some we we basically did two days in the office, three days at sorry, three days in the office, two days at home normally. Mm. So coming out the end of it, it didn't really have much of a change to our pattern. But during it from a work um the the business side of of how it's affected the the company, a bit mixed. Some clients, yeah, did just like the the leads that we had just 
fizzle out. They they weren't spending. But then others full on like realize that they if they don't have a physical presence, they need an online one. Yeah. And yeah, we we've had a lot of people that just needed websites. So that that tied us through quite a lot. A, a really funny case of this was Rainville Leeds in um a bottle shop in sorry, Rainville Superstore in Leeds. They Johnny, who runs it for the longest time, said he doesn't need a website. And we're like, we think you do, Johnny. And he, uh, he was like, oh, well, I've got a website, but maybe you could just add a few more because we we're already making a website at this point. You can mm-hmm. just put a bit of information on there. And I was like, have you ever considered just selling your stuff online? No, nah, I don't. I don't need to do that. And then one day he rang me up and went, right, government are going to probably tell me I can't have the shop open. So I need that website now. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we, we sorted that out in the end, but that was kind of a theme for a little while like businesses knew they needed a a stronger online presence as for like how it's affected it post i i can't see much of a difference other than the uh, like long-term effect that covid's had on all the organizations like now that we work with charities like some of them were absolutely devastated by covid like not having not been able to fundraise they're now in a state where they just have less money than they did three years ago. Mm. That isn't the case for all. Like uh, St. George's Crypt was able to still fundraise online for one. But yeah, it, I imagine if it had not happened, that there'd have just been different charities that we're working with, perhaps. Mm. Um, in terms of like the volume of work we have, I, I don't think would be different currently. Mm. Yeah, that's a really hard one to tell. I mean, I, like you say, the sort of the lockdown being a catalyst for people sort of really thinking about their web presence probably drove customers and sales for you. But then, you know, you're you're working in a good space with a good offer. Like you're gonna have some natural growth anyway. I would expect so. Like, and there's no way to tell if you're doing better or worse against where you would be if we hadn't locked down it definitely got people thinking differently so crypt uh, as a as another example literally came to us and said we can't run in-person fundraising events but we have marketing budget for them Mm -hmm. what can we do to raise like brand awareness essentially and like fundraise online and so we worked with a marketing manager there um to uh, the the idea we landed on was we'd, we'd made their website at this point, but we took all their archival content, so like flyers from the 1930s mm. and um, posters, uh, leaflets that they'd hand out, tons of photographs that they've had, and they gave us it all in like a trunk. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is like 90 years worth of really valuable content. <laughs> and Cole, Cole hastily scanned it all in, and then we tried to get it back as quick as possible. But the we took it all and actually chronicled it as like a interactive experience on their website. Mm. So we made a, a piece called Then and Now, which you can find just in there on the site. And it goes through the decades. So it starts with Don Robbins, who's, who started the crypt and like he wanted to help the homeless. So they literally underneath the church emptied out all the graves and turned it into a homeless shelter. And all this is like known, like it's not news to anybody who knows about the crypts, but it's this, we added music to it, Cole did some beautiful like design for it. And then I built the actual experience and it's just something that is beautiful in itself that can be put in front of people who aren't the crypts 
normal audience. Mm-hmm. Like it's not the people they normally fundraise to. So we submitted it to design award websites and it won awards. So then YouTubers started picking it up and then it got people looking at this crypt outside of like it's normal fundraising ring, if you will, or um, scope. So, I mean, marketing works, doesn't it? (laughs) Like if you promote a thing, people only hear about it if you talk about it. So it it got, that, that was really, like for me, that was a big catalyst for, when Cole said, look, we should niche into uh, charity stuff, I was like, yeah, because I can see that this like makes a difference. And I think that Christmas was like their highest donations on the site via like then and now as well, which was good. I mean, that obviously that sounds awesome to me as well, just with all the archive stuff and just like oh, it was cool. a treasure trove of like, oh, look at this and, and all these little factoids. Yeah, that's always going to get people's interest, especially if it's something they can recognize as well. Like, well, that's yep. different from there and so on. I think yeah, it was awesome. £2 a week. I think it said one of the factoids was like £2 a week can feed 200 men. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the pound went further then, clearly. <laughs> wow. Let's do Brexit next. So I don't know if or how this would have affected you at all, but has brexit since we have brexited has it changed your work at all in any way that you can notice like for the good for the bad or is it fairly neutral like what has it changed anything for you we've not noticed a direct impact of it mainly because of the majority of the clients we work with are uk based mm-hmm. um so from a trade perspective we've not had that issue we've been affected in part from an insurance perspective. It now asks us, do we trade with the EU? And now that's a, if we want to do that, I have to, oh, I've got to go and update my insurance. So that's that's mm. like a, a, a very boring part of it that would do it. We had this problem with the US. So one of our client, legacy clients was a, is a, a US company and we couldn't get insured. They were like, why have you got one client? Why have you got one client that's in the US? And just the whole point of like, the UK becoming more and more isolated is is coming up for how our business operates. Like we had to have a conversation, like, do we keep this client? Thankfully, we were able to find another insurer, but like it's, yeah, it's not something I enjoy the thought of. Like I want like our country to be part of Europe for one, but like I also like feel that that shouldn't be a, I think it feels like there's more eyes on us working with someone else now, like outside of the UK, which was it's a bit of a sad feeling for that. We, the member of staff that I mentioned we had as well was Greek uh, during COVID. And I do remember her saying that she, she felt like when the referendum happened, that she felt not welcome mm. when the result came through. And as an employer, that was like, quite crap to hear actually as a person that was crap to hear but like as her boss that was pretty um as as being british myself i was like that's naff that where you live you don't feel welcome and i've heard a few people who you've had on the podcast actually express that same feeling whether it was from working from uh colleagues or or directly as a result of the referendum Mm. um yeah and um Personally, as well, I've noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of EU citizens have just left who lived in Leeds. Like Leeds had a lot of Italians that I noticed from trying to learn to speak Italian, 
and like the places that I would go to get coffees and stuff now, it's just all English employees. So I'm like less likely to go there to be able to speak a little bit more. So that doesn't really affect the business as much as it is, but like how, I suppose one way in which it would is like where we choose to have the business and to have it in Leeds was because it was a multicultural mm. space. Well, it is, it is a multicultural mm. space, but um, Brexit has definitely not made that a better thing. Mm. It's not improved that situation. Because mm. we've definitely spoke about where we want the business to be in the future, like how it would benefit other members of staff. Currently, it's happy where it is mm. Leeds, but yeah. I mean, in terms of growth like I, I mean I don't know where you are with it and how realistic it is for you and how much of an ambition it is for you but like did you I would assume you're kind of leads focused and that there's a word of mouth sort of thing but I would expect that you get jobs from around the country as well was the thinking to kind of expand here or would you have been like maybe we'll put an office in Europe or something like that or would was that always going to be kind of a pipe dream that you'd never think about until you got to that stage. I mean, I'd personally love to move to Italy and just get away from it. <laughs> so that would be one. So maybe there is a there's a um, Geneva office uh, coming around the corner. But as for the business where it is in Leeds, we've both worked at big agencies and experienced like sub clicks within it. Mm-hmm. And we really liked the teams that we worked in and those teams and the bonds that you have with those people and at least I've heard this anecdotally, like the number's about 13, more than that, you develop subclicks within it. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm assured that the scientific studies that demonstrate that, but like <laughs> at least anecdotally, I can yeah. say I've noticed that. Everybody always speaks in, in the industry and Leeds everyone speaks about when they, oh, when the agency was smaller, it was great. I wonder why. And it's because there was like less than 13 of them. Because mm. when it's bigger, then it needs more moving parts. It's not a bad thing per se, but it changes. Mm. So we've always wanted few and far to be... A, a, a few people that are experts in the field that are doing that and you know if you like working if you like us when you meet us and wanting to work with us you we're the people doing the work as well and that's a big trust thing for us that we we want to get so if we have the business in multiple places i think that would break down yeah is my current belief anyway i mean so for yourself you know, I mentioned maybe you might have to step back from doing the work, you know, like the the, the design, the making of the software yeah. and so on. I get the impression that's not somewhere that you want to necessarily go, that you prefer to keep being as hands-on as you can because, like, am I right in thinking that that's the part that you really enjoy? That That is the part I enjoy, but I know I can get that itch outside of, like, my my business like i can make things that are interesting like i could make our site i could make like all the uh, the like pro bono work we do like mm-hmm. i can get value out of that and then the staff can do the, the work that i want to be doing as well mm-hmm. but equally i don't want to step away from the business from like a strategy perspective like you know from the work that we do like people want to work with us because of me and cole so like mm-hmm. that i want to continue to give but that doesn't mean i have to you know, program or code, all of that stuff. It can be more teaching other people how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that can be how I find fulfillment in that way. And I enjoy doing that as well. And it's interesting like to see that. what other people bring as well, isn't it? It's like, cause 
Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll just take a totally different approach and you're like, what, what, what are you doing? And then you see what they've done and you're like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> it's, it's the biggest thing. You're completely right. Cause it's the biggest thing I miss from working in a bigger team, mm. like that collaborating with, with others, seeing like me and everyone I've ever worked with still text each other who, who really enjoys the like coding mm-hmm. and we send each other what we're doing, not because mm-hmm. The, we're in, we want them to be interested in what we're doing, but more how we did it. Like, yeah. oh, I did it this way and it's super interesting. And, I, and that's the thing that I, I miss. But so thankfully I can get that with the people I've worked with uh, in the past because we just share ideas in that way. Like um, I've done something recently for the Crypt, a new interactive experience that we're doing. And in one of the illustrations that our uh, intern designers done, which are um, gorgeous, done a great job of them. There's a clock in the background. And I was like, I want, and I've animated the the illustrations now, and I like I want that clock to be whatever time it is when you visit the website. Mm-hmm. So then had to like rig it all up, and then realized that you can't just. I've basically built a clock, like I built the full code for a clock in this little <laughs> interactive storytelling piece that tells about how the crypt helps the homeless. There's a full on like clock engine that that sounds really like making it more complex than it is, but a really simple example is like i animate the the clock hands between like every minute so when the your clock on your computer changes it animates but you can't do that between 59 minutes and zero minutes because then the clock arm as it did goes backwards Mm -hmm. so like i was showing it to my wife and then it literally struck the hour struck and then the clock just broke and i was like okay so now i've actually got to make a proper working clock for this interactive piece moment i'd done that i was like i don't have another developer who i work with Cole has a background in it to a certain degree, but no like software engineer, no dev. Mm-hmm. So I was like, text everybody I know that enjoys that sort of a thing to get the, because I know they'd be, they, they, well, they do do the same, but I know they'd find that interesting. Um, so probably have like, you know, quick streamlined ways of, oh, this is how I did that. Or yeah, yeah. Try this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or why on earth have you done that? Is often <laughs> some, sometimes, but that goes both ways. I'll say that to them as well. <laughs> why would you do that that's madness yeah yeah Yeah. i can imagine that so uh, designing the business i mean obviously you want to do good and yeah you're working i mean it's fairly energy intensive but no more energy intensive than any other work because everyone's working on a computer now i would imagine uh but yeah like from a climate perspective does it affect your work? Is there something within your work that you can, that you do around it? Or like, how does it impact you? Do you do anything around mitigation, awareness raising or or adaptation? Yeah. So a few things in which we do. So one from an energy consumption perspective, so like just like the cost of operating a business. Mm-hmm. I'd say our biggest one is like equipment in the office, but that's really small footprint probably travel is probably big, but I live in Leeds, so I travel locally and mm-hmm. we work from home some days. So that obviously like cuts that back a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got servers that are running, which are running 24 seven. And there are more efficient ways in which you can do that, where they only turn on when people visit the website. Mm-hmm. However, my current argument and based on the size of our business is the amount of man hours it would take to invest in that and have all of our charity websites do that probably offsets, probably outweighs any potential gain. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of, there was a, not a fad because it sounds like I disagree with it. I don't disagree with it, but I've seen a lot of people saying this is how much carbon this website has generated. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, equally, I hear so many stories about how charities can't get the changes they want to be made done with their teams. And I'm like, I wonder how much energy you're wasting in the business because you aren't able to like move the business forward. So it's like, it kind of doesn't matter that the engine's running on dirty fumes if like, yeah, or on clean fumes rather, if you're yeah. like, you're spending weeks of literal man hours wasting time. So mm. that that doesn't keep me up at night, that one. We do run all of our websites. Uh, we don't, well, there's one, but we've moved away from them now that uh, we don't run on Amazon. I mean, instead we run on DigitalOcean mm. and all of theirs is generated by renewable energy. So like we have chosen for our servers to be in London, uh, Swansea, I think it is actually, and it's all renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's from like the the production side of the business. From a having the office side, we're trying to go for B Corp, which I don't know if you know what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're really close to submitting on that. We've almost filled everything out, and we've had uh, advisors come and helping us through with everything. So I know it's only like three of us, but like it's actually helped us because we're able to like codify all of our beliefs yeah like rather than like have a team that we've got to like change how we work it's like no this is we're going to choose how we move how we grow and we've aligned we haven't really changed opinions on very much because it's how we wanted to run the business anyway Mm -hmm. you know giving it's been really good actually going through the process because it's made us like sign up to everything that we agree with so like we signed up for living wage employer, which mm-hmm. at first when I called mentioned that to me, I was like, why on earth do we need to do that for me and you? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, it means that anyone we hire knows that that's where we stand. Yeah. It means that if we have cleaners, we don't because we've got a serviced office, but if we were to have our own cleaners, they're paid that as well. Yeah. And I'm like, all oh, right, yeah, maybe this is a good idea. Yeah, like, not yeah. that I thought it was a bad one, but yeah. Um, so we did that. We signed up for the uh, mindful employer to set standards for how we treat and what we offer to our employees. It's, um, it's run by Leeds Mind or in, in partnership with Leeds Mind. But then from like more directly climate stuff, one of the things that um, we'd signed up before B Corp was 1% for the planet. So, th- uh, you know, the guy who set up Patagonia. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing that he, yes, I, yes, I have. Yeah. So it's his charity, which now the charity that owns Patagonia owns. Yeah. Um, and it's where businesses agree to give 1% of their revenue to climate change charities mm-hmm. or causes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's before profit and yeah. before VAT. So, like, 1% of everything we invoice goes yeah. into a pot on my app <laughs> when I do this. And yeah, we did our first payment this March, I think it was, and we gave it to one local and one global. So a global waterway cleanup uh, organization, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't in my notes made a, a record of. I should have that. And uh, the other is uh, the a charity for keeping the Yorkshire clean and because it's a thing that's going to affect us more directly. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so we just did 50-50 on that for, that, for those. But that has been the there's there's lots of ways we could do it like the the work we do like we say we work with charities but we actually in general like we work with or we feel we're really best with organizations that work for for directly with people like yeah. we both suffered with our mental health over the years and struggled with it and and we know the value that those like organizations have like Leeds and mine in Bradford especially like we're calls based so it's really easy for me to like connect with that and be like help put like bring my skills to that. Whereas if it was a bigger charity that was like a sustainability one that wanted to work with us, 
I know everything I do and work would help them, but it's more the people focused stuff that really like lights a fire under in my belly about it. Mm-hmm. So knowing that's where we spend our time in like the business, like doing 1% for the planet is, I feel like we're helping others to be able to like the butterfly effect of like help the rest of the world, but at least we're directly contributing to that. Cause I know our, I know our work can't actually support that directly. Mm. Uh, and then recently calls just like almost throughout all the pens, but he he's basically signed up for the eco pen club. Basically with all of our like stuff in the office is now like made sustainable material. So we've got like cardboard pens with like soy based inks and stuff. Mm. We've kept the plastic ones we have and we'll use them until yeah, they're yeah. depleted. But yeah. So that's that's nice. And like we already had like moleskins and stuff, which if you get the basic ones, they 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 are like made from like recycled paper and stuff. So mm. that's our, I guess, contribution to that. How it's changed our work. It hasn't at the moment. I would but, say, but what about values? Go on, say what you were gonna say first before I detour is. And it but it could do quite easily because the squeeze that our clients will feel like for in my lifetime, I will expect that climate change will very much affect the way in which our business works. But directly, I, I haven't seen an impact of that, or at least that I'm conscious of. So what I was going to say is, like, because I was thinking a lot, you know, when you listen to things about work or businesses or whatever, a lot of the time they, they'll talk about values and what are, the, what are our values and what are the company values. And, like, it sounds very much like the work you've done around values, which you kind of have done and the way that you were describing it, it's kind of like, it's already there sort of thing, you know, like as you're going through the B Corp, it's like, oh, well, we're doing that and we're doing that and we're doing that. And plus you're working with charities. So, you know, like you say, wanting to do good in the world. So I think if it fits in nicely and it sounds like you've already, like it's already embedded rather than something that you had to kind of design in and, You've gone, yeah. right, here here is our climate agenda. It's like you know, you you've you've bolted on things that fit and that suit. I, I mean, does that sound fair? No, it, that that does sound fair and it found, sounds like how it feels to us as well. Like I've tried hard not to do anything for the sake of doing it. It's got to be like because it gives us purpose. Like mm. I, I I think even questioning like the living wage employer, I believe in what that stood for, but I was like, I don't think it affects us. And then having that discussion, realizing, oh, it would affect us, right? I, I want to be part of it. So I've not signed up for things that are, you know, to tick a box, I guess, in that way. It's all like things where we feel passionate about it in the first place, because I've got to like, yeah, live with it. And that things season. that you intend to do rather than, oh, we'll do that because that'll get us some nice cachet with X constituency or whatever. It's like, no, we'll do that because that fits with what we're doing and what we want to do. That It sounds a lot more like that's yeah. your approach. Yeah. I, I wish I could say I did those things and then just a pot of money came because if that was the case, maybe I'd do more of that. But no, that's that's <laughs> certainly not how it's felt. I think another one I've, uh, we've signed up for that I didn't mention is we're a member of Leeds Community Foundation. Mm. So it's a, for us, it's quite a big thing because it's like there's massive agencies that sign up, massive businesses that sign up for it, but everybody pays the same amount no matter what. Oh, um, right. yeah. So it's just a thousand pounds 
per year to be a member. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt like it, it affects like all the communities that we we live in. Like I live in Burley, and like the money will be given to organisations in Burley that are supporting people here. Like their community foundations. If you don't know or listen, don't know, it's the their trusts of money essentially that support like typically cities or I think there's like 47 of them in the UK and we work with quite a few of them and they yeah high value donors or people who give money in their will give it to the trust so because it's very expensive to run a charity like Mm. all the stuff you have to do is very time uh time um intensive so the community foundations can hold the money and then give that to the organizations that need it rather than them you know like the donor deciding where that money goes like they can give it to someone that's going to trust that the money can be spent well in the community so that that's another one that i'm really proud that we're uh, still doing so that's good yeah i think they're great these community foundations yeah so they do a thing for the supporters so for all the members that do it they t- take us around all the things that they invest in uh, so we've been to like the skate park at south leeds you know um and that community one that's run um uh catch in uh hair hills because they've given money to those and just seeing what like difference all that's made is there's quite it's quite nice to to be part of really i feel like you're part of that so not directly but indirectly how has social media changed your work i mean from the business side obviously you've started when social media is mature but you know again lockdown kind of changed some of that makeup so uh yeah just talk us a little bit through your impressions of social media and whether you actually see it as valuable i mean like it might be worth talking about how much you have to do for the business as well but yeah do you see the time that you do have to invest or other people have to invest in social media as giving a good return on that investment of time i think i think it does typically have a a good investment as long as you spend it in the place where the people you want to communicate with are Mm-hmm. Um, so when we started, we were primar- primarily trying to appeal to clients that wanted a premium looking website that was easy to use from them, but then wouldn't limit them. Like they didn't need, they didn't just get a template off us. They got like a fully CMSable tool, which they can use as their business grows. It growed with them, but it also looked great like the work we did we always submitted for design awards and it won it so like mm-hmm. we wanted clients that wanted that look for their business mm-hmm. so naturally this shouldn't come as a surprise our like target audience our target platform was instagram because we needed photos of all the work we did mm-hmm. and we didn't talk much about what we did we just showed and i don't necessarily mean that in the show don't tell ways in literally we didn't talk all about how we do what we do it was just here's yeah, the work that we do write a big epic comment of here's everything that we did in the process and it was just like here's the work yeah and then moving into actually before i move on to where we went after that what it was great for was designers loved it like loads of designers would like all our work and like whenever we submitted design awards our peers would like vote for it because it looked good and it was fun to interact with but it meant that it was really hard to find that in a client like that isn't a very specific niche like somebody wants that like nobody identifies as that 
Yeah. So like when we did start to be more strategic about our marketing, it, it always landed flat. Like we couldn't ever resonate with it. So we could post work and it would get likes, but like then the people who were buying from that, which is why I think I said earlier, like all of our work was like word of mouth essentially, because then it was the transfer of trust from someone to another. Yeah. Social media itself didn't do well for us in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good, it was a good place for people to come see our Instagram and if they were doing their due diligence on us, because it gave them confidence in the work that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so after kind of niching down into the third sector, we pretty much segued to LinkedIn mm-hmm. um, and where we kind of stepped, we, we left, we still have a few and far account, but like it is far more dormant than uh, our Instagram was mm-hmm. far less active. And instead like, we as individuals step forward on LinkedIn. So it was more about what working with us was like, our thoughts and appearance, our experience with mental health, like just talk about that topic mm-hmm. um, because that's the kind of people we want to work with, people who do all that. And we found that was really effective. It's hard bringing energy to that, <laughs> like to, to want to do that all the time. And it isn't my forte. So typically like I'll be doing something and I'll be like, right, I have to stop everything because I've had a thought for a post and I, I have to write this now or else this moment's going to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole's much better than me for that regard. But yeah, I kind of like focus switch from like showing the work and nothing about us where really it's a good analogy for like what happened in the business. We, we stopped selling websites and we started selling partnership to help people. Mm-hmm. So putting us front and focus like did that really. It, also meant I just muted loads of people on online that I didn't want to see that I felt like not peers necessarily, but people who like have other agencies and stuff. I was just like constantly comparing myself to that. Yeah. Yeah. Connected with a ton of people in the third sector. And now my LinkedIn is like a pleasure to read. It's just charities doing really nice things. Yeah, loads of happy stories of we helped this person and we did this. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just like, funny. I'm liking that, I'm liking that, I'm liking that and commenting on that saying that's great to see. Whereas it's not like agencies just posting all the wins they've had with clients. It's, yeah. And then the things that we do post on there now is all the free stuff we give away. Mm-hmm. Like, so the Impact Optimize that I spoke about earlier, we do webinars about accessibility to help like charities understand what they need to be ready for for the future do webinars about uh, we have one like five ways to inspire without even spending a penny mm-hmm. um uh, presenting your uh, impact with purpose is another one these like workshops that we've made that are just like you'll come on them get value and then there's no real sell <laughs> it's just yeah. just have our insight and that is really comfortable to post and talk about on social media mm. um so that's for us, for our clients, we just kind of like, and this is how it affects our like actual work. Cause this is where we engage with what they're do- overlap with what they're doing. They don't need to post every platform. Um, and just getting them a lot of the time it's getting them to just go, the last is like, where should we be posting? And I'm like, have you looked where you're getting engagement? Mm. Like, uh, like before we make a decision on what we should do next, like look at what, what is where where your audience exists yeah like if if your audience doesn't exist on social media maybe you don't need to post in there yeah, yeah. um 
it, again, you might always need it for that like, due diligence so people don't go and just see these empty Yeah, things. something like have something that's live where you at least, I don't know, even if it's once a month or at least every 90 days, that mm. there's something to show that it's still live and active maybe. But yeah, like you say, you don't maybe necessarily always need to have that consistent. Keep posting, keep posting, keep yeah. feeding the content machine. Yeah, and the things that you should be posting to there are things that should be like treat it, treat it like how we think about Google, like answering questions, questions that people have. Like if you make your website do that, if it answers questions that people are going to be typing into Google, like the stuff that you post to social, like it should be answering things that they're thinking about or talking about things that they're thinking about. So like just think, define who your users are. Like one of the, workshops we're running at the moment is literally like the first class isn't even on anything to do with your website it's like right and all of you write down who your who your audiences are that are coming to your website because there's no point making a plan for what you're going to post to social media unless you've actually defined right well we do have high value donors but they're all done offline none of them are on instagram so we don't need to really try and connect with them mm-hmm. like that's our fundraiser the fundraising team are doing that offline so it's now just individual giving that we're interested in. But unless you have that critical thinking and just, even just writing down who it is, like that can, you shouldn't be making any decision until you understand the facts. Mm-hmm. And then the second session of that course is literally, right, now let's go on your Google Analytics and we're going to look at the pages that you all think are important and we're going to see how many little views they get, like slash news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the pay, the page posts themselves get hits, but nobody visits slash news. I've done work where, like for example, I did this piece of work uh, where it was just basically building a big sales list. So I had to go on loads and loads of websites looking for phone numbers, you know, head office phone numbers and stuff. And you go on loads and loads, and yeah, finding the information is not always easy, and it's like you don't always get who it's aimed at and yeah yeah i i recognize that it yeah why would you why would you go on the news the only reason you're going to go on the news is maybe a bit of curiosity of like what they're posting as news but you're not yeah really going to read any of it i don't think and you can get that by just having like three of the latest news articles on the home page just to yeah. demonstrate like new content like a lot of it as well as we see people put their social media in the header of their site. Mm. So it's like, you know, all the social icons. And it's like, why would you want to send someone who's, you've fought really hard to get their visit and Just now you're going to send there. them to Facebook? Yeah. Use social media to pe- bring people to your website. Use your news articles to tell people about something new that's happened. But the whole point is, well, this is another thing that we have on the Impact Optimizer. Like one of them is called Give Your Pages Purpose. And it's like, you've got this news article that, we don't know a lot about people when they come to our website, but if they've read the article and they've got to the bottom, we can infer a little bit, which is they might have been engaged in what you wrote. It might have like had some relevance to them. And then normally we see the footer just after that post. And it's like, maybe you should do a contextual call to action to like talk about the thing you've mentioned. Maybe it was like you opened up a new center for like the people you support. Have a After that news post, have a link. Use social media to say you wrote the post. Get people landing on the post, reading it. Afterwards, take them to the page, like see how our centers make a difference. And then you take them to that, then they read that, and then think about the journey that that person can go on. Mm. Uh, but instead, it's like 
generic fodder every time. <laughs> Do you think? I, I expect the answer is yes on this, but like, is that something that you were kind of aware of already? Or do you think like through doing the work, you've kind of streamlined a lot of things, you know, not just for your clients and so on, but for yourself in your own mind of, because I, I imagine when you're working in a, for a large business, because you fa- you're going to be fairly siloed off, you're going to be looking at particular things not necessarily connected to everything organization wise whereas the two of you working together you're thinking of everything everything because you have to for the business yeah so do you think that kind of holistic thought has come more from your own practice and having your own business or was that something that was already that you were conscious of and was kind of being fostered when you were working in bigger companies I think it came out of trying to make it because I already knew about all this, about how people engage with websites. So we were making e-com websites and it was around like when I worked in bigger companies, it's like, how can you make this user experience better? Mm-hmm. And all of the research around marketing and user experience, like has been distilled into us over like 20 years or however long it's been for Colin yeah. and a bit less for me. But through having to work with charities and how risk averse they are, rightly so, like they have, they only have so much money and they need to trust that they can spend it. Mm-hmm. Um, they trust where they can spend it, I should say. They, it, it kind of forced us to just give more away. And we found that that's worked really well. People have like wanted to work with us when we do that. But because we had a business need, which is we need to help people because it, it it benefits us. It's made us, over the course of like two years now, refine all of that information and make it very applicable to people very easily. Mm-hmm. So like all the other stuff that I would have probably known, but we'd have touched on like, I still do it, but we do that when we work with them, much like mm-hmm. further down, like all like the finer tuning. But these are the things that are so like applicable to so many different businesses. Like it is applicable outside of the third sector as well. But mm. we now just are able to help them understand it very quickly. And I think you're right. I'd never actually really consider it this way, but because it is me just doing everything from like the dev capacity, like front end, back end, mm. uh, SEO and analytics and all of that. Like I have to know how like how the whole machine that i'm a cock of is uh <laughs> it, it actually works like i i feel like i could fit into any one of the cogs like like you know swap me out like for where it goes like i know it makes it sound like i'm like got a very like it's not it's very broad but not very deep i'd say it more as you sound more like a ball bearing than a cog <laughs> okay i'll take that very yeah yeah okay thank you that's that's better <laughs> so yeah I, I i think you're really right there and I'm super useful to see it that way actually it is having to to work on it all mm. and then coupled that with our necessity to be able to you know connect quickly with organizations mm. and provide value quickly that it's gone well now i do understand it all where's the bit that's actually going to make the biggest difference for them in the shortest amount of time mm. and it sounds like that synergy of uh, like you know when when people talk about giving away stuff for free online and you know do courses or expertise or whatever but it sounds like just perfect for what you're doing because 
you you you're actually giving those organizations value up front that's building the trust that's growing the audience that's bringing them to you so it's not just like god i have to think up something to give away for free it's it's yeah. like this is this is our business this is what we do and as part of our marketing we're actually going to help you and you know in return you can come and get more help and like we're here if you need it like this is the stuff we give away for free imagine the great yeah, stuff we'll do of. when you pay us yeah yeah and it's it's been super satisfying doing that because it doesn't feel like selling then it feels like serving people which is what mm. our like, coach was saying like framing it that way like what and it's actually made me a lot more honest on sales calls like i now tell people they don't need a website mm. like, i don't think i don't think you need a website like i think a squarespace site go read up about this i think like you'll spend money and you won't be in a better position because you don't have the time to like make the diff- most of this. And I'd hate to see, I'd hate to invoice you just to do, just to have that. Whereas before where I felt like we needed work when we were commercial, like would never have dreamt of saying that. Mm. Whereas now where it almost feels like we've, it feels like we've got fewer clients like conceptually because it's like we've got a niche and we've got more so we can say no to more of them. But, in doing so actually help them because a lot of people they'll get on sales calls like with other companies and everybody's wanting to sell to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Not Which many people are going to say no. Out. It makes you stand out, doesn't it? Cause you're like, well, okay, you've had 10 calls where everyone's like, buy this, buy this up, sell, up, sell. And you go, you don't need a website. <laughs> they were like, what? Why is this person saying this to me? Like this is completely new. Who? What? What, what are they selling? Yeah. We've we've had it a lot. We had one charity that um, unfortunately we didn't win the work, and they've since referred other charities to us. Mm. And we've gone, that's odd, isn't it? And like, like I was like, this is really peculiar. And Carlos went, Carlos has said like they would have just recommended the people they worked with, wouldn't they? Had that mm. have gone well. And for that reason, because that was a whole tender process, and we've we've said that we're just not going to do tenders anymore mm. because we're not a big enough team. We aren't able to like invest enough energy into that. So much time as well. Like you got to produce a big. Home. Yeah, yeah. We will do this, and we will do that, and yeah. And I had a call earlier this week with um, a client that we've done work with over the years, and uh, they're ten- they're putting out a tender for a new website, and she offered it to us, and I said no, thank you though. And she was curious to why. And I said, because you'll, I don't believe that it'll help you if you do a tender process. I don't want to be involved in that because I think you'll find people who are really good at writing tenders. Yeah. And promise <laughs> things necessarily that they can't deliver. And you've got to, you've got to come in cheap. So you've got to like, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's an art to it because you've got to price yourself of like, we could potentially realistically deliver this at this price and make a profit. But yeah, I don't think everything's better. malicious. No, no, but I mean, there is within that process, there is a level of, because I know with a lot of tenders, you know, you, you kind of, I don't know which way around it is, but it's that sort of over, uh, over promise under deliver rather than under promise and over deliver. Yep. hundred percent. And I said to her, like, I really just don't want to promise to you anything I can't do is a thing I've really struggled with in the business is like. I won't say anything unless I like to, to clients, like unless I believe I'm going to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and that has caused not friction between me and Cole, but um, 
I know I, I can probably be a bit awkward when it comes to that. It's like, well, I'm not I'm not doing it. I'm not I can't I can't do it, so I'm not gonna say I can do it. Mm. Sometimes you need to be a little bit more flexible than that. Mm. Mainly because in, in doing so, I was able to say to them, instead, would you like all this stuff for free? The the tender thing. Because it can you probably need like a partner that can help you and like I can help you try and find one like mm. that can do that. If it's not us, like this advice might help you. They still might go the other way, but it's not going to keep me up at night. But again, that that comes back for me to a kind of forward thinkingness because it's like, all oh, right, well, you might not pay us now, but if we've helped you, you're going to remember us. And if you do have a piece of work, we're going to be in the mix for that potentially. Yeah. 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 And just as we found people move jobs and they're in a situation where yeah. they're, they're, um, circumstances are different the ceo is more progressive in that manner mm-hmm. uh, or forward thinking maybe not progressive but yeah we won't work that way as well just helping somebody when they're in a bad situation they can't really change that but like making their job as easy as it can be mm-hmm. um yeah because you're thinking about the resales as well and yeah i want to go back briefly just on to that you saying you don't want to promise something you don't know you can deliver I, I mean, I don't get the impression that you're afraid of a challenge uh, in starting no. your own business and taking no. various things. So uh, I don't know necessarily how to phrase it, so I hope you get my gist on this. But it's that sort of, how do you know when it's kind of not possible? How do you, How do you know how to draw the distinction between that will be a challenge and that is something I can't do? Is that just a, a kind of experiential call based on previous things, or is that is that a more solid line? Is it quite a hazy line? There's a few ways in which to do it, or I have done it in the past. So from a dev perspective purely and not project, mm-hmm. um, there's the concept of like estimation. So I estimate how long something will be. And you can do that through like, you know, if you're working on a, a long-term project. You can do it in like sprints. So like every two weeks you estimate how long things will take. And then when you come to the next week, you compare that with, you know, if you've got similar tasks, well, it took me this long last time, so I can refine my estimates and you can do that in like poker chips. So you just use like arbitrary numbers to help it be a bit more detached from that. Or you can just look at the raw numbers whilst doing that over my career. I've always found that if, if I take what I think it's going to be double it and add seven of like the nearest unit, I'm pretty much on like. So if like it's a week, I'll be like, all right, it's two weeks and seven days. Mm. Like uh, so three weeks. If it's like a month, I think it might take it's like, okay, so it's two months and probably still seven days. Like, and it's it's real, like there's no science, there's no exact science, but like the I forget what the adage is, but it's like the scope. Time will always expand into whatever room it has, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. But the more time you have, the more time you have to like, as, as it is expanding, handle that. So like, okay. Whereas if I'd have gone with my initial, I think it's going to take two days by the time a day's passed, I've now not got any buffer. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've always overestimated what I I think something's going to be. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm ever, if I ever do complete something very quickly, we can work to either like add more to that, like enhance that experience, give more value or 
give back really um, where it is necessary from a from when I was a developer from the business perspective and how we we manage that feeling that I have um we do it in two ways so one is we've in general I'd say prior to niching down 50% of our work was project work and 50% of it was like we make the same websites more or less like not the same website but it is a brochure website yeah. we reflect we sell the businesses online and the other is like we made software we made apps we made like websites like tools you know like people sign up for a thing and then it's got like a components that they play with and things mm-hmm. and all that side of it we'd estimate it and then you'd have to like obviously we do paid scoping sessions for it Mm-hmm. where we can actually go, well, what's the budget? How much time will I get us? Where do we work back from that? And then it gives us a few days to kind of like with the client flesh out what is, where's the value in this? Can we help you come like bring down what you want your deliverables to, to be? Because it's actually, it shouldn't be the deliverables that matter at all. It's the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we've gone into the, after the coaching and now we're working like more or less just in the third sector, We've gone more to like ninety percent of the the same thing that we're kind of doing. We have two products. We have a partnership where you work with us and we update your current website, and then we have we redo your brand and a, a website, mm-hmm. and then the partnership. So they're known quantities to us. We know how much time they take. Mm-hmm. Like we've done it enough times that we know how much time we need from the stakeholders. So that doesn't that doesn't give me that feeling anymore. I know. Yeah we can deliver those and then the 10% of the time is project work and we still just do the scoping sessions but that still is is hard and hence now it reflects by how much time our business goes for the things that we know uh there's less volatility in it yeah or variability in it yeah so it's it's kind of like i mean it's repetition and not quite standardization but i can't think of a better word but Standardize the process. Yes. One thing from how it's affected our work, mm-hmm. um, I did think of when you were talking about it. So we never used to get involved with it. Mm-hmm. And we'd always just like do the site and everything because they had like a, someone would have Canberra in the charity and they'd know how to like do it. But we've since not seen that we will do these like lovely brands for organizations and then team members that don't have like a graphic design background have to do it. So mm-hmm. We started now in in those products that I, I mentioned before. Like we just give capacity to actually make their social media templates and then upskill them on how they should use them, how it works with their brand and stuff. Like we can provide them with brand guidelines, but that doesn't mean that they understand how to apply them all the time. Like all even that, with the best of intentions, or that they're ever going to read them because it'll end up being a document, <laughs> yeah. won't it? And it's just like, oh, I've just started here. I don't want to read that. <laughs> Yeah, so instead we go for, rather than boring someone on their first day, we go for like, have a human experience where we can get on a call, show them how it works, give them examples of it, make it intuitive as possible. And as part of our like product, like it's just, you can just have calls with us whenever you want. Like, we'll just go through it. Like, we found that we offer that loads and nobody, like, nobody's like abusing it. And it's used as a way of like, unlimited consultancy but you can ask one thing at a time essentially yeah 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 and yeah now we have them and now these these things that we make their social media matches what the experience is when they come to the website we'll make this beautiful website but then the social media is if they make it themselves there's a dissonance so they're trying to attract people to come to this 
nice site that really understands its users that's got these great user experiences yeah and then it's just like they've used a different red it sounds like you made a lot of the changes work-wise that you you wanted to wait to to be able to make from previous jobs into what you're doing now but yeah i'll ask the question we'll see we'll see what you what you say so yeah so if you could change any three things about your work or the way that you're working what would you change I would, I kind of touched on this earlier. I would love it if the work that I did had more permanence. Mm. I think, I think the non-visual part of what we do. So like the way in which we impact a business and how it works and the people in there that, that does have permanence. Like we're obviously helping these people, Mm. but it's really difficult to see that five years later. Like I think I think I can tell people about how we helped this organization and how that was able to give them, you know, the confidence to then go and like ask for 300K from a a, a business and they got it. And like, that is a story I have. And it means a lot to me that the CEO had like the balls to go ask for that much money because of the brand we gave them. Mm -hmm. But in, in like 10 years time, they'll have rebranded hopefully with us, but maybe not. Like, I don't know how things are going to go. The, it's not like when my dad made a house and immediately what I was thinking of as well. Yeah, go on. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. So I can drive back to Pontefract where I'm from and I can go down streets and in Nottingley as well, just where, and I can see like houses that my dad built on like mm. little estates mm. and they'll be there. Like this house, like I've, I'm, I'm in now, is like 100 years old, I think, 1930s, mm. almost 100 years old. And it's like, that's real permanence. Like mm. the the change we've making to the human race, great. Really love it. Genuinely, it's given it made me find purpose where I didn't know though I needed it. Mm-hmm. Like as I mentioned to the cock thing, like I'm doing this and it is now really super soul fulfilling. But there is, if I could change anything, it would be what I could do would last could outlast me mm. and be very satisfying. I mean, do you feel that the work that you do is, it's not a tangibility issue. It's not like you're not, you know, your work's all untangible. Yeah, like it's just, I I do things, I know I affect things, but I can't record it or put it on a thing and show you. It's, I have to tell Uh, you. Most of the time I can, it it will exist within a five-year time span. It's still going to be there. And I think that's why I really enjoyed I didn't enjoy the cultural side of working for a software company, but I did enjoy the output. So like I made literally whenever I go in the station, I know my code I wrote is still there, mainly because that sector is really shit and doesn't invest in updating all of its (laughs) software and like its code that was written. There was some like cobalt that was still running on that program and on that thing like Watchdog and it's like written in the 90s. And it'll yeah. still be still be working until like the whole building is demolished and then the new building is there. So there is that I really like. And I, I've always had an inf- interest in like infrastructure as well. Like I watch a ton of stuff on YouTube about general infrastructure things, like mm-hmm. engineering infrastructure as well. So like I really like that effect. And I I would I have one one thing that I have is a secret Santa that we have with our friends every year, rather than just like, you know, doing it. I've just got a, um, 
an email address that's actually got a, a bot that I wrote many years ago that emails us every year and like I just tell it like who's married who so it doesn't like pair them up and every year right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I have this thing and this is like it is giving me that gratification because it's code I wrote when I was in uni and it's still running yeah and every year all of us get an email from good old saint nick at gmail.com and it tells us who we're buying for this year and that it, there isn't a website for like a physical site you can visit but yeah. it interact it engages like yeah, it's not a building you can go see, but that that feels more permanent than a lot of the other work that I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, it's weird. <laughs> that's one. That's one. A second, if I could change anything, I would uh, wish I could switch off more. Mm. It's in part a little bit why I I started therapy like earlier this year in order to give more time to my my wife and my daughter. And obviously I've got a a relatively young business and it's kind of all I think about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my hobbies and stuff that I used to do, I don't engage in with as much. Mm. In this last like year, I've taken up rock climbing to like actually like give me problem solving uh, exercise that I can do. And be mindful and present because you can't be daydreaming when you're clinging to a rock face. (laughs) And I found that, yeah, yeah, you can. Well, you can, and then you end up like yeah. scuffing yourself, which I found you do, and like breaking a rib, which I found you can do if you're not paying too much attention. But that is that is something I'm working on. I'd, I'd really like to be able to, obviously it's a, a function of what you do, but like we've, I'm really proud that we've both, Cole and I, like come Christmas, like mid-December, and we've done this every year, we just shut. Like we tell our clients we're gone, but we don't work over Christmas and it's from like the 15th, 16th, 17th, whatever. We've always taken enough holiday. We don't really work much past five. We do nine to five, but I'm then still thinking about it afterwards. Mm. So I wish, I wish I could, whilst I might not be physically working, I wish I could switch off and be a bit more present to the rest of my life. Cause it, it's really, I find it really hard. I've definitely noticed myself like, not enjoying playing video games on my own as much Mm. as I used to because it's I've got my thoughts with me whereas when I'm playing with others it's easier to just have that's hanging out with people more or less do you feel a little bit guilty that it's kind of wasted time it's like my brain could be working on problems that I need to solve is that the kind of yeah yeah whereas when I'm with others I don't have that guilt because I'm very comfortable in the thought that spending time with people is valuable so I'm really happy, but when I'm on my own, I'm like, yeah. And I say when I'm on my own, my wife might be in the room and I'm on a computer, but I'm doing a solitary thing and I there, yeah, the guilt kicks in there and I should be allowed to do something I want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard. But um, it also sounds to a degree like it's like you what am I trying to say here? It's like getting away. It's that product activity thing it sounds a bit like i've got to be producing but when i'm not producing that's fine it's fine to go on holiday it's fine to do and spend these time but me on my own mm. i need to be producing i need to be i need it's back to the cog isn't it it's like yeah. i i have a purpose here i need to be spinning and making sure everything else is spinning is yeah. that a little bit like yeah. it is yeah. yeah it's that's 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 a personification of that feeling right there yeah yeah Yeah. that i mean yeah that is going to drive you mad (laughs) 
<laughs> thankfully i really enjoy the work i do so it doesn't kill yeah. me to be doing that but yeah it's a very massive luxury i have there yeah yeah okay so that's that's quite a big one but i mean do you uh, do you think that's something that's just a practice thing yeah yeah and it, yeah i think i can get of, there yeah a matter of learning you know just whatever techniques that you need to kind of compartmentalize and oh no i now i, I should switch off and I i'm feel, allowed to I mean, even much though better. i'm on my own so, yeah totally no no you're right i'm allowed to like i feel like i'm in a much better position i am now than i was six months ago mm. like you got to work on it <laughs> yeah and yeah climbing has been a big help for that exercise i've never enjoyed the gym so i've been able to feel like i'm doing something productive and it's problem solving it's really fun it's also very close to my house so <laughs> helps and the i still don't know what's going to happen with like games I'd, I'd love to be able to re-engage with that again and i've got a ton of comics that i have still yet to read but yeah i'm not i'm happy because of it it is just more if this was a thing that i could change it, it would yeah. be it would be better yeah i know what you mean it's one of those sort of this isn't severely impacting kind of thing but it is like i wish i wish i didn't do this it, it's kind of I, I don't want to sort of reduce it down to like a bad habit or something but i can't think of a better expression it's kind of like it, no, it, yeah, it's, it's okay. bad practice or or you know you've got yourself into a routine or whatever but it's it's not debilitating yeah and i don't know if if this is maybe a, an effect of what covid had like we went into like a do or die phase and we just took every on everything we could in that mm -hmm. period and i don't i don't know if it is that but i, I definitely know that happened and yeah. like but yeah like the business is five years old but us in our niche and the, the people we work with is this barely two just over two so like we felt like we're starting again so like i know i've i it's not on uh, it's not bad that i'm putting this much energy into it at the minute mm -hmm. uh, if another two years go by and it's still i haven't been able to step away then maybe maybe mm. work on that again a bit more but i don't feel like it's going to be like that i think it is just the habit thing of allowing myself to have more time so yeah I, well, I was going to sort of mention COVID as well, because I was going to say, is that, you know, was that something that pre-existed before COVID or do you think that was something that came out COVID? I, I haven't really internalized or thought much about it, but until right now, but yeah, it, pro it probably is something that was post-COVID because before that, I, and I know this because I've still got like records of playing games and stuff prior to this like achievements that i've actually uh, or trophies i should say that i've got like so it probably was a a function of that like mm. going into a bit of a spiral mode and then taking a while to get out of it and especially then going through that transition in the business that was hard for us because we just turned down work we just was mm. like we're not going to be able to work in this new way if we keep working in the old way yeah um and that was that was tough in that period mm. yeah mm. so uh do you have a third one I, I don't really have uh, you kind of touched on it at the start of this question like we're in a fortunate position that we're able to change a lot of the ways in which mm. we work and we've done it i think 
the things that we really want, like when our intern started, like telling her to go home when it's five, like, what are you doing here? Mm. Like, this isn't like you. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Go home. Yeah. This isn't so. devil wears Prada. Go, go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My shoes are not that good. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'd, I'd struggle. Like, I think in general, I've, I've worked a lot on like, what we want this to be for us so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty yeah. happy with that so if there was a ubi how do you think that might change your work would you still work if you would still work would you be doing this and if you'd still be doing this would you do it the same way so if there was a ubi it's funny in the last week isn't there because there's that mm. trial in a, two two places in england I think it was England, wasn't it? One in London, one in uh, one the North. Jarrow, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Finchley and Jarrow, I think. Yeah. And that was 1600 a month. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see how that pans out. I, If I had that, I would 100% still be a developer, still a programmer. I find a ton of gratification in doing this i find enjoy the the problem solving mm-hmm. i think if you'd have asked me this question two years ago with commercial clients mm-hmm. the answer probably would be i wouldn't be doing that i can't see like i'm enjoying making these beautiful websites but like if i didn't have to do this i might make something like more software or something yeah now that it's charities and the the people that we've met like i I don't know what I could do that would be more rewarding than that mm. for me at the minute. Mm. And I am the kind of person that on holiday day two, I'm fully relaxed and I'm ready to go back to work. I can still enjoy it because then it's like, all right, okay, well, we're going <laughs> we're going out somewhere at midday. Like me and my wife, before we had a child, like we always did like, long weekend holidays in europe like mm. cities because it meant we were doing something all the time yeah like yeah, yeah. italy we went to lake garda and then just hiked all around lake garda as well like mm. even though there's quite a lot to do in lake garda mm. so i yeah I get, I get like itchy and recently i took some time off and just to do nothing like i took a week off i got the holiday took a week off and we had no, no plans to go away gardening i can do and like the house and things like that but like no actual plans mm. and at one point i was laid face down into the ground and my wife was sat next to me and i just went i'm bored sarah like like i can't so the idea of a ubi being something that would re- remove my necessity to work yeah is a very debilitating thought for me like i think i'd have to I don't see work as a thing that I am incredibly fortunate that I view it this way, but I don't view that as even when I was employed as well, like I never felt like I was employed. I felt like I'm getting paid to do the thing I like to do. Mm. So it would be from a fulfillment perspective, I'd still have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, As for how it would affect my work in terms of, and this is the thing I've always thought about with always an interesting question around UBI is, how would it affect my value to people? Mm. Like if we're all getting a, a, a livable salary in that sense, or we're paid enough to live. Like 
I don't really have an answer for it either, but like no. I'd be charities, for example, like there's ones that deal with poverty, like well, that's it. Like some of them would go, yeah. Hopefully, I, I mean not to, yeah, yeah. I, I mean not in a bad way, but like hopefully you don't need to exist anymore, and that's a good thing. And those people haven't got a job, but that's okay because they've got a UBI. Yeah, but then equally. So St. George's Crypt, homeless charity, like, I don't think if everybody had a UBI, that would prevent them from being homeless because homelessness is a symptom. It's not a, uh, the, it's not the problem. Like yeah. it's mental health that was the issue with some cases. It's addiction. Like some people like gambling addiction can lose their house. Family issues, and, domestic violence. Yeah. Like any, equally. All sorts of complexities. Yeah. Yeah, you you have a gambling addiction. You get paid sixteen hundred pounds a month. Like, mm. I don't. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's more like there will be some people who have that disease that are going to, mm. unfortunately, hurt themselves more. Mm. And indirectly. especially if society changes. Yeah, yeah, and indirectly hurt others. But especially if society changes around the model of us all getting a livable wage, like other things might step away, and then that person's money's gone so yeah. i think yeah maybe some of the charities that i work with would disappear and then others would need to be bolstered mm -hmm. but equally you might be able to go more in depth on stuff you know you yeah. I, I mean could yeah. you like to i mean you're happy to sort of do the kind of pro bono work as well i mean not all the yeah. time but like that's something that you've mentioned and that's obviously you get, yeah. you get some joy and satisfaction from that so maybe more of that would happen, but then, you know, obviously at your discretion kind of thing, maybe you would might want to take on more or you might be like, no, I'm only going to, I'm getting paid anyway. I'm only going to do work that I'll get paid for. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. But just like initial thoughts, I would have to be doing work. I would have to, I know the answer is definitely not. I'd be sat on a beach. <laughs> do you think, do you think it would free up any space sort of in terms of that thinking all the time? Do you think you could potentially create more space? I mean, you, I guess if it does give you more free time, you're going to spend more of that time with family, with friends and so on, I guess. I mean, it's all speculative, but no, no, totally. I, I don't, I don't go, go, go answer is I don't think it would. And I think that's because, Touching on wanting more per permanence in like the output of my work, one of the things that I do really want is I want the, the work that I'm doing, like investing in this business, to have longevity past mm -hmm. me. Like we we've we spoke uh, at length, me and Cole, about the idea of like ownership of a business by the people that work there. Mm -hmm. Like that would be an end goal, and like knowing that I could, oh, I don't need to work on this and step away from the business. Like I know that then this thing that I'm wanting for it is less likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So I don't think so. Like I'd want to continue to invest in that. Um, I mean, it'd give me more free time to work on like the relationship building part of the business p p potentially, but it certainly wouldn't give me at least knowing myself as as good as I do, I don't think it gives me time away from at work. Just before I close this off, and I forgot to mention on my preamble 
which you probably know anyway but like i'll throw it over to you after these questions we can talk about anything that you might want to talk about and do the socials and so on do you think in terms of this is still with you in ubi in mind so we're still in speculative zone but do you think if you did have the ubi and in terms of creating something more lasting or long lasting do you think that might free up some problem solving space in your head to solve that problem of like i've now found the thing this is what i want to do this is the great thing i want to build or whatever is that could that be a potential perhaps yeah potentially like it might be I said no to one more thing than I needed to, which then bought me time back. Mm. And then that is where that problem solving would come from. So, yeah, I guess, I guess in that capacity it would. But I'd then use that time to think about the business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, was yeah. Like, I read this thing years ago. I can't remember what it was in. But they were saying, like, you know, talking about, and this was in the U.S., uh, and like the amount of time that people spend at work and they're all like uh, uh, torn away from everything else because I'm spending all my time at work. And then they were like, OK, well, if you had more time, what would you do with the more time? And then they were all like work. So I'm going to throw it over to you. So first off, where where can people find you if you can uh, just drop socials or websites or anything in terms of people getting in touch? And then if there's anything that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on, anything you want to revisit. Uh, totally open to you to discuss whatever you want. So we are Few and Far, and you can find us at fewandfar.co.uk. We're at fewfarco on most socials, I believe, certainly on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, we, I guess the thing, this is, I mentioned before, like obviously the the free thing we do, we genuinely do do it to any and all charities. Like it doesn't matter if your turnover's five grand a year or it's more like, we're indiscriminate on that. So we've got a thing called the Impact Optimizer, and you can do that at fewandfar.co.uk slash impact-optimizer, and you can just book on, and then that'll appear in my calendar, and I'll do it for you. Thank you again to Thomas for being my guest. If you'd like to find out more about Few and Far, go to fewandfar.co.uk, or follow them on social media, twitter.com forward slash England or linkedin.com Thomas Nadin. Thanks, as always, to all my guests and thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. If you are in Leeds or from Leeds, if you are Leeds, then please come on the show. Yeah, I am speaking to you. I still need to find over 900 loiners to interview, so being a guest is a massive help. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to Working Hours and please consider supporting Working Hours financially with either a regular or a one-off donation of any amount. You can email working hours at workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Okay, that's me. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other. Leads. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited, and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leads Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Follow Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Western Studios Leeds will help you realize your podcast for only £25 for an hour of podcast work. 
Need podcast production, recording, editing, or any podcast admin doing? Need it all doing? Do you want or need a podcast host or co-host for your podcast project? Then get in touch with Western Studios Leeds Limited. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com to get your podcast made. I am available to third sector organisations, small to medium sized businesses and individuals who want to make podcasts or create other digital audio content. Want to make some fundraising case studies? Want to show off your expertise in your field? Want some help creating your show and format or just some support learning to podcast and getting going? Whatever your podcast needs, get in touch with Western Studios Leads. Go to western-studios.com and use the contact page to drop me a message about either working hours or about your own podcast project.